Do you know someone who is dealing with a mental health issue? May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and so today we're going to take a closer look at mental health diagnosis and accommodations for college-level students. According to the National Alliance for Mental Illness, one in six U.S. adolescents between the ages of 12 and 17 experienced a major depressive episode. For U.S. young adults ages 18 to 25, one in three experienced a mental illness. And one in five young people in these same groups indicated that the pandemic had an effect on their mental health. And nearly one in 10 experienced a mental illness as a result of their COVID diagnosis. There also appears to be an increase in the use of alcohol and drugs in these same groups, 15% of adolescents and 18% of young adults reported an increase in the use of alcohol, and 15% of adolescents and 19% of young adults reported an increase in the use of drugs. Many of these statistics appear to be paralleled through disability services and the increases in numbers that disability services is seeing as well. So today we're going to talk about those increased numbers and how you as a parent or a teacher can help a child get support and accommodations through disability services if you know a child or have a student who is dealing with some of these same struggles. So welcome to College Disabilities and Success Episode 65, Arranging Mental Health Accommodations, by Mickey Hayes. The opinions in this podcast are my own, but please reach out to your college, physician, or legal services for additional information. Before we begin, I'd like to give you some phone numbers. The National Alliance on Mental Illness is 800-950-NAMI. I, that's 800-950-6264, or you can text NAMI to 741-741. And the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 800-273-TALK, T-A-L-K, or 800-273-8255, or call 911 immediately if you know someone who is in danger. All of the links and resources that I give you today will be in today's show notes. So what's happening at the colleges? According to an article from Inside Higher Education called Accommodating Mental Health by Susan H. Greenberg, so many of the colleges and universities are seeing an incredible rise in mental health accommodations in the last few years. Increases in registration for disability services has gone up across the board in most colleges, and the University of California, San Francisco, the disability services director, says that nearly 70% of those are new to his office, new students newly self-identifying with disabilities. At Purdue University, mental health conditions jumped more than fourfold from 179 to 755. According to Texas A&M University, their numbers rose in the last 10 years from 897 in 2010 to 2,840 in 2020, registering for disability services. I think part of the reason that we're seeing such a huge increase in numbers has to do with the age of onset and the fact that more and more people 
are reaching out for help, as it should be. There's a link by the National Institute of Health that actually shares age of onset for many disabilities and many mental health issues. So I will have that link in the show notes as well. But there appears to be a correlation between the onset of mental health issues and the age of college students. So if you suddenly are faced with a situation where your son or daughter is dealing with a mental illness, what should you do about it? Where do you go? Where do they turn? If you've been a regular listener, you know that I've stated all along that all colleges do their own thing. Every college follows ADA guidelines, but they are all offering you their resources based on their own particular policies and parameters. But every college is going to have some sort of disability services, and every college is going to have some sort of advising and counseling person or program as part of the institution. So if you have a student or know a child or have a student in your class who struggling, I would suggest that they first go to disability services and reach out. Because even if your college isn't equipped to handle serious situations, in most cases, those professionals will have outside resources that they can offer as an option. So whenever possible, start with either the advising and counseling at your college or the disability services at the college and see how they can help you best. Now, some colleges have a direct link to a medical facility or a medical resource or to a doctor who can actually diagnose individuals. And if that is the case, then eventually the child can get the help that they need both mentally and physically and the written diagnosis that they would need in order to get accommodations through disability services offices. Also consider this. The individual can actually go to your hospital emergency room. Even if they don't have cash or insurance, most hospitals should be equipped with indigent services where they can also know who to refer your child to. So always reach out. Now, sometimes there's a hesitation for students to talk about their struggles, to talk about it to a professional, and to talk about it to their peers. And that's where the confidentiality piece of it comes in. Every college disability services follows FERPA law, which means that the information that they get based on a student's disability is private and personal information. And so when a student gets an accommodation through disability services, and that accommodation is taken to the instructor for use in the classroom, the disability itself is not identified on that letter. It only says that that student has registered with disability services and as so should be given these particular accommodations. So the need to follow FERPA laws is critical, especially if you have a student who struggles with privacy issues and fearing that everybody's going to know their business. Now, sometimes students with disabilities self-medicate. That is common knowledge. And you noticed at the very beginning when I talked about statistics, the drug and alcohol statistics were quite high, and they seem to parallel a lot of the mental health statistics. If you have a son or daughter who is dealing with a drug or alcohol problem, and they are reaching out for help and getting help and support for that drug and alcohol problem, that should qualify as a disability for accommodations. As long as they can show the disability services that they are in some sort of program or treatment 
for the disability. And not everybody realizes that that is a disability that can get accommodated. So I just wanted to make sure that you were aware of that. So what kind of accommodations are we talking about? Well, going back to the article, Accommodating Mental Health, the University of California of San Francisco actually started an accommodation that they called release time. And their release time accommodation is very often for therapy. Sometimes the accommodation will state medical appointment. It's always going to be a vague statement that doesn't identify the disability. It could be anybody for any reason. Sometimes the accommodation is written as extended absences or occasional absences. Sometimes it's vague and sometimes it's more specific. But a student with a disability, regardless of what it is, that impacts their ability to attend class should have a very heart-to-heart conversation with the Disability Services Office. And then the Disability Services Office will be able to write the accommodation the best way to suit that student. So it may depend on the person's situation. But again, it always goes back to every college has their own policies and procedures. So these are hard conversations that the individual with a disability, and in this case, the individual with a mental health disability, has to have with disability services in order to make sure that they are getting the accommodations that they should have. Sometimes the students need to be clarified through additional documentation, a possible letter from a doctor or someone who is helping that individual, could be a counselor, could be a therapist, but that person could give additional information and insight into the need for those absences. Extended absences can get very complicated, but hopefully the documentation that they put in there originally should take care of that. Now, another accommodation that sort of falls into the same area of support would be a reduced course load. Now, a reduced course load allows the student the rights of a full-time student, but take fewer classes and have fewer credits. However, that also impacts Pell Grant money. So there could be long-term repercussions of that, but that's, again, one of those things you have to investigate. And it will delay your graduation because you have credits to make up. If I get a reduced course load, will it impact my financial aid in the future? And those are questions to take to the financial aid offices at your college. Mental health disabilities can also impact test-taking. So test-taking accommodations and even note-taking accommodations may be a reasonable accommodation for a student with a mental health disability because of the nature of the disability and the student's ability to focus. And that could also lead to accommodations that can mitigate the focusing problem. Accommodations like using the test center, extended time for tests, putting a note-taker in the classroom who can take a good set of notes, recording lectures, recording information can also help. The student will need to ask some questions, especially about note takers, because the issue becomes, can the student use a note taker if the student isn't there? Because historically, if a student didn't attend class, they didn't get the accommodation for that class. So that would be a question you'd have to bring up with disability services. The issue of time away from class can get to be a real problem for professors. And there are conversations that you need to have with the disability services with regards to how many absences are too many absences. It's one thing to have an absence because of an emergency situation or a therapy appointment that you can only schedule at a particular time. But it's another thing to have absences occurring constantly and randomly. Because when the student isn't at class enough to get the information, it 
really impacts how well they can know the material and learn the material and be successful in the class. So it's a balancing act between the need for the accommodation, the need for the extended absence, and the need to be in the class, and the need to get the information and to pass the class. If your son or daughter or student knows that attendance is going to be impacted because of their disability, these are conversations they definitely need to have up front with the disability services and possibly with the professors, depending on the situation. So surprising somebody with this at the last minute doesn't usually work. There is one point in the article from Inside Higher Education that makes a statement about seeing accommodations for mental health as temporary, and that I do disagree with. These are not temporary situations. These are not temporary accommodations. A person with a mental health disability is in a situation that is treatable and manageable, but it doesn't mean that the disability itself is going to disappear. The accommodations are still necessary to help that student maintain an appropriate and active and effective education and a truly authentic education. Temporary disability accommodations are reserved for broken arms or broken legs or a hand where the person is waiting to heal so they can write again, but I don't see them as an accommodation that's temporary in the case of mental health disabilities, in my opinion. Two other options worth considering if you know someone with a mental health disability are universal design and online classes. Some students who have mental health disabilities prefer to take classes online, and sometimes taking classes online makes it a little bit easier for the individual to mitigate their performance in class based on their mental health days. So that makes flexibility and attendance in some cases a little bit more easily manageable accommodation. So it's something to consider as well, at least for the courses that the individual knows are going to be very labor intensive and require a lot of focus and attention from the student in order to pass. Additionally, some college faculty have access to universal design for learning resources, in particular the Ally resource that's available in the learning management systems. These systems can help mitigate some of the attendance problems that a person with a disability is dealing with. If you want to know more about universal design accommodations, check out episode number 31, where I interview the Vice President of Accessibility, Equity, and Inclusion, Kelly Herman at the University of Phoenix, about online accessibility. The University of Phoenix uses the Blackboard Ally Universal Design System. If you would would like to know more information about that. And episode 54, The Importance of Universal Design for Learning, where I talk about the online resource that is available for teachers who wish to use universal design in their programs. Thank you for joining me today. I unpacked a lot about mental health accommodations at college. And at the beginning, I shared some information with some phone numbers and contact information that I want to repeat to you right now as we wrap things up in case you miss those. The National Alliance on Mental Illness is 800-950-NAMI. That's 800-950-6264. Or you can text NAMI to 741-741. And the National 
Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 800-273-TALK, T-A-L-K, or 800-273-8255, or call 911 immediately. I hope you found value in today's podcast, and I appreciate the time you took to listen to it. If you get a chance, stop by my website, that is mickeyteaches.com, M-I-C-K-I-E, teaches.com, or send me an email with your questions or comments to mickeyteaches at gmail.com, that's M-I-C-K-I-E, teaches at gmail.com. All of the resources that I mentioned in today's podcast will be included in the show notes at the end of this session. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you being here and have a great rest of the day. Bye. Information contained throughout this podcast has been gleaned from my own personal experiences. But to ensure accuracy, please contact the Disability Services at the college of your choice to have firsthand information and the most up-to-date policies and procedures followed by your particular institution of higher education. The content in any of these podcasts is not intended as a substitute for information from legal, educational, or medical professionals. Always seek the advice of your attorney or qualified health care provider with any questions you may have with regards to legal, educational, or medical concerns.